Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. There's only one news source updated regularly devoted to news in and around Fishers. That is my news blog, and you can check it out on the web, LarryInFishers.com. And you can follow me on Twitter as well, at Larry in Fishers. Each year, the Hamilton Southeastern School System selects a Teacher of the Year at each school building, then a Teacher of the Year for the entire school district. For the 2019-2020 school year, the district's Teacher of the Year is Maria Cousy. I spoke with Maria Cousy midday, Monday, September 23rd. I'm at Brook School Elementary School right here on Brook School Road, just south of 126th Street in Fishers. And my guest today is Maria Cousy. Maria Cousy is the Teacher of the Year for the Hamilton Southeastern Schools for the 2019-2020 school year. So, Maria Cousy, welcome. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. I look, I look forward to this interview every year more than anything else, getting oh, wow. to talk to the Teacher of the Year, somebody on the ground teaching young people. I think three years ago it was a high school teacher. Last year it was a... Uh, it was John, John Hostetler, mm-hmm. and, and so John was at uh, the intermediate level, and now you're at the elementary yes. level. So you all have different ways of looking at this, and so I get a, a nice look at how education is going locally. So since you discovered you would be Teacher of the Year, which was late last school year, mm-hmm. how has that impacted what's happened to you so far this school year? Well, it's been a, quite an amazing journey, I will say that. Um, it. It truly has been an opportunity for me to reflect on my educational journey as an educator um, for the last 20 years, because this is my 20th year in education. So, um, you know, I was, to say the least, extremely um, shocked in, in May, and um, but it's been an, an honor and, and a humbling um, experience. And so over the summer, I worked on um, the application to apply for the Indiana State Teacher of the Year process. And that's where it has, that kind of opened the, the door for that time of reflection. And so now even coming into the school year, it's, it's been quite a journey. So we're recording this on September 23rd. Are you still in the running at the state level? Or? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Um, just as of a little over a week ago, I had an interview mm. with IDOE. Because, Indiana Department of Education. Correct. And um, it was because I am one of the top 10 finalists in the state of Indiana. Well, you should be honored about that as yes, well. I am. And we'll Thank wish you. you well as we move forward here. I believe it was Lawrence Township teacher that won uh, State uh, Teacher of the Year last year. Yes, she year. did. Yes, mm. at the secondary level. Yep. Well, this is the second consecutive year. A media specialist has been uh, district-wide teacher of the year selected for this. Uh, so I know, we talked to John Hochstetler last year about what he does at the intermediate level. Explain what you do here at the elementary level in this job. Okay, so some things are the same, but there is there are some differences between the elementary and the secondary level. So, um, I mean, a big piece of the library role is growing readers and writers 
um, at all grades. And so I spend about half of my time here in the library supporting students as they come to check out books and grow themselves as readers. And I try to combine two classes at once in order to allow for um, some flexibility in my schedule so then I can be able to go into classrooms and collaborate and co-teach with teachers. And so I figure I spend about half, 50% of my time in the library and about 50% in the classrooms um, just building those readers and writers and, you know, bringing in um, technology and um, digital literacy and print literacy and you name it. It's... (laughs) If it falls anywhere into that category, it's it's part of the game. I'm going to ask more about that as we go along. In fact, I want to talk about this because you mentioned literacy already. It's a major part of what you do, as you just explained. So explain to us, when you go into a classroom and you're there co-teaching, I think is what mm-hmm. you would say, to explain what you're doing with the students when that happens. So it will look different at each grade level and depending upon what it is. So I might be involved in an inquiry-based project, some project-based learning. So for example, um, just uh, I think about a week ago, I invited third grade classrooms into the library. I brought several of them together and we were talking about how do we research as third graders? How do we research? How do we choose a topic, how do we go about finding our sources and making sure that they're creditable and, you know, going through that whole process and then even taking notes and what that looks like. And so now I can follow up going into the classrooms and supporting the students with the teacher in helping the children do their research, their inquiry. Um, For example, our third graders are really interested in the global goals, and they're kind of making that their project um, for the year, a big focus. And so they're going to be diving in to what these 17 goals are with the United Nations. And so just trying to figure out how they can take what they're learning and what they're reading um, and how they can apply it to themselves as citizens of our, our world to make it to make it better. Do you also work with kindergartners then? I do, and I actually, we have preschool here in our, at Brook School. We are the home, kind of the central hub for the preschool. So even the preschoolers, Mm -hmm. they come and visit our library every week. We have a story time, and they check out books. And for, with kindergartners so far this year, a lot of it has been, how are we learning to be a digital citizen using an iPad? You have just walked right into my next question. (laughs) When you look at these children as they come in, at what age or what grade level do they really start to become savvy about use of the web, using computers? Explain how you see that moving along. Well, to be honest, a lot of them already are before they even walk in this door. Even the preschoolers? Um, I Well, the preschoolers don't have the iPads. Sure. You know, they don't have the one-on-one. But as they come into kindergarten, you can tell which students have a device at home or who is manipulating one at home and who isn't. And so you have to take that into consideration. So a week ago, I was teaching them how to use the camera app. And some kids mm. were like, I know how to take a picture. But wow. then as I'm giving them some techniques and, you know, the... I don't want to say the do's and don'ts, but this is how we can do this better. And we're mindful of what we take pictures of and, you know, not of other people and things like that. You know, some kids, it gives them a whole new perspective. Oh, I didn't know I could turn the camera and, you know, change the perspective and things like that. So which then opens up doors to so many other things. So at the elementary level, you just mentioned that you talk about, you know, how to research and and how to find out what what is real and what's not. And there, any adult will tell you that's on the web, there's a lot of unreal material yeah. on the Internet. So how do you go about trying to work with these students to make sure when they do their research that they come up with facts that are verifiable because there's so much out there that's 
bad? Well, it's it's a trick. Mm-hmm. I will say that I don't have that down to a masterful science. You know, that's perfect. But it is giving them the tools of, you know, instead of Google, let's use, you know, um, a search engine like KidRex, where mm-hmm. it's going to pare things down and make it more kid-friendly. And then looking for those keywords. And then when you find a source, let's see where that is. You know, is it coming from World Book or is it, you know, just some random guy's name that has produced it? So it's, you know, looking at that about section and just kind of digging with a fine-tooth comb. Um, but I can't really say that there's like a perfect science to it. I notice I'm getting a lot more traffic on my about page on my website. So people are trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy? Yes. Where yeah. does he come from? <laughs> oh, no offense. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I'd, uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of heartened by the fact that people care. Who is this guy? Yeah. What's his background? And yeah. You can judge whether you want to pay yeah. attention or not. Well, we just got the iLearn results yes. recently. Yes. Um, when you looked at that data, what was your reaction? Um, well, I... Uh, my first thought is this is a new assessment tool that the the state has adopted. And so whenever there's something new, you know, that's there's always things to be kinks to be worked out and and pieces. I also think that um, it's one piece of who children are. Um, I truly believe that in my in my heart. And I spent 17 years in the classroom before I came to the library. And I think of all the children that walked in and out of my door and the gifts and the talents that they had that were never measurable or could be shown on a test, on a standardized test or on, on, a, on a benchmark. And so I think of it as one piece of the picture of who they are. Um, yes, the when we think about scores and where they were with the former ISTEP score, you know, we're looking at different data, we're looking at different um, percentages and things like that. I also think it gives us a chance to think about how can we grow our learners, you know, look at pieces and think, okay, where can we um, maybe focus a little bit more, but also how can we really stretch them and maybe look at our instruction and see where we can support them at a better in a better way. I attended a school board work session recently where the uh, super, this superintendent gave an example of how I learn and I step are different. Yep. It was a math problem. And it was an elementary school student that was looking at a picture of an interstate highway and the mileage of mm-hmm. how, much, how, how many miles up to a certain point and was asked, what's the difference between these two points? And he, it was an example. Mm-hmm. So he, he really couldn't work the problem. He didn't understand where to start. Right. But then they gave him the problem. It was one and one-half minus one and one-fourth, which is mm-hmm. all it really was. When you gave him that question, he worked it out no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I learned appears to be much more geared toward what we called them when I was in school ages ago, story problems. Uh-huh. They, uh, they're called now applied application four, where you're applying what you've learned. You tend, from what I hear about you, to be very geared toward the applied four. Yes. Making sure, okay, we need to teach the skills, but how do we use them? So tell me how you think this may this new test, which is now in place, may change the way you you maybe teach these concepts in a classroom. Well, and I've already seen that evolution here at Brook School and throughout HSE. It's not just, oh, we need to learn these skills, but it is about application. It is about how can we use these 
in lack of a better word, in the real world. How can we apply them? And so I think we've already made, we're, as a district, and I can speak clearly for here at Brooksville, we're already making those steps into that um, framework of just uh, application versus we're not just learning skills, um, isolated skills. I also think it's just a matter of, as educators, also providing experiences for students to take the skills that they're learning to apply them. And so, like, I think of, you know, when I just um, spoke of, you know, the kindergartners learning how to use the camera app. Okay, but they're learning that tool, but then how can they use that when they're working on projects or in their writing or as a reader, like giving a different perspective on something? So it's providing students with skills and standards or tools and then showing them and giving them the opportunities to apply it. I have one last question about iLearn okay. before I move on to something. Because there's one part of it that it still perplexes me, and maybe you can shine some light on this. Because all, all the, And I've read a lot of the material at the state level about iLearn. And one thing that was stated, I think, at the state level or just by the people who put this test together, is it's supposed to gauge how college-ready a student might mm-hmm. be. So how do you determine how college-ready a third grader is? Um, that's a good question, and I don't know if I have the answer for that. So, <laughs> I so you have the same question I have. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just, it's, it's a process, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we've always said, you know, kids start taking the I-STEP test in third grade. It's not up to the third grade teachers to have them, to mm-hmm. prepare them and make sure that they are ready for that. No, it starts in kindergarten, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So... Well, you've talked about literature. I'm going to go back to that. Okay. Um, because the bio that was provided by the school district that I had a chance to look at says that, that you like to engage readers in what's called diverse literature. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'd like you to just explain how you go about at the elementary level working on diverse literature with, with uh, the children at that age. Okay. So um, I could talk to you for an hour on this, but it's... Mm, it's it's about exposure to a wide variety of texts and literature. So years ago, um, back in the 80s, there was this Windows and Mirrors project that was started. And the idea is children need to be able to see themselves in books, a mirror, but they also need to be able to have the opportunity to see others in books, too, that are maybe not just like them or of the same culture, the same race, the so- same socioeconomic. So it gives you that mirror. You're looking, or I'm sorry, you're looking through the window into another culture. And so when I was still in the classroom, my last year in the classroom, I did this um, very large unit, which I thought was going to be just a couple weeks long, about theme, finding the theme in, a, in books, and it ended up being turning into a semester-long project as an entire third grade team with all of our students. And it has just really continued on into my role here in the library. And so as I do my weekly read-alouds here at Brook School, we started um, when, a couple years ago on Friday. We gather together in, a, in the library or in our big open space behind the library, and whatever classes want to come together, they can come and hear a story. I try to pull a variety of, of texts in that. Um, 
whether it be of a main character from a different race or a different culture, a different socioeconomic, whatever it might be. Two weeks ago, I read um, Papa's Pastries, and it was about um, a family. Um, I believe it's uh, in Mexico, but they go to sell their um, pastries. Well, nobody has any money, so Papa just keeps giving them away. And the whole message is the more you give, the more you get. You're repaid with kindness. And I found out by Monday over the weekend I'd run into different parents, and they're like, I heard all about Papa's pastries over the weekend. And so it was it's through those types of experiences, just simply thinking about what books you're reading aloud to students and how the, that effect, you know, what effect it can have on them. I do a lot of work with um, notice and note signposts with our students and our teachers here. It's with um, Beers and Probes. They came to the district years ago. Um, and it's all about thinking deeper as a, as a reader. Well, as I'm modeling this comprehension, I'm trying to pull in a variety of texts, or whether it's um, even as the children are then working with them. It's it's about having that variety so that children can see themselves in the text, but also have a glimpse into someone else's life. I, I was largely educated at the elementary. Elementary for us in those days was basically grades one through eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was largely educated by the Sisters of Providence, okay, yes. in a Catholic school. One thing they always liked for us to do mm-hmm. was we would have a lesson, and rather than just silently reading it, we would each take a turn, stand up, and read a portion of the material that was being covered. I always wondered why, but yet I really feel that I worked in, in, in broadcasting. I worked as in, in radio news. I don't think I could have done that mm-hmm. if I had not regularly mm-hmm. been standing up and uh, reading in front of the mm-hmm. class. I assume that's still a part of, of what you do here. Well, I, um, for teachers, teachers are definitely reading aloud to students you know, on a daily basis. But I will even uh, – this is maybe a little off of what you just shared, but even like I gave the example of on Fridays that I do the read aloud, I'll invite other teachers teachers to do it in, mm-hmm. instead and just literally stand there and so it's read mostly the, So it's mostly the faculty reading to the students? Is that yeah, mostly so what you're doing? Yeah, so their children are, or I'm sorry, stu- teachers are reading daily okay. to their students, you know, um, picture books or whether it's a chapter book. But our Friday read-alouds have even inspired children to want to do it in their own mm-hmm. classrooms. Last year I w- went to a first-grade classroom and the teacher said, we're having our own read-aloud. And it mm-hmm. was a child who had... Um, you know, had read a story and had prepared, practiced it, and then wanted to read it to the class. And so there they were, sitting proud and tall in the chair and reading to the class, sharing sharing that book with them. So, one thing in, in looking at the various uh, biographical information on you is that yeah. you always uh, pride yourself in trying to create excitement <laughs> among your students. Now. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that's always an easy. Sometimes it can be an easy thing at this uh, age group, and sometimes it might be a little tough. How do you go about doing that? It's about getting to know the children. I truly believe that's where it starts, and I have felt that all my years. Um, I remember starting teaching my teaching career on the east side of Indianapolis, and um, it was about getting to know the children. And I had a lot of children that were from a very different background than what I had been used to. And I knew I needed to get to know them in order to um, 
get them engaged. Mm-hmm. And I have felt that my entire career. And even now, I mean, I see 700 kids in a week, you know, between them just even coming into the library, not even going into classrooms. But it's about, you know, knowing their name. It's about meeting them in the eye, bending down, talking to them. I'm fortunate enough to do the car rider duty in the morning, so I feel like I've gotten to know kids very well. They'll stop and talk to me or, you know, or even a parent will stop and say something. And so it's it truly is, if you want kids engaged, you have to get them you have to get to know them. And they need to know that you care and yet you are there to support them. Because once you have that, then they're going to start to grow academically. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's a very different thing to do if you have your own classroom and you are the classroom mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. Being the media center, a librarian, is that still a word yep. people yep. use for you? Yep. I, I, so if you're a librarian or media center person, uh, you're getting to know every student in the school. Does that make it more exciting, more challenging, or is it more difficult? Um, I would say it's a little more difficult in the sense you have a lot more names to remember, <laughs> but I... For myself, I can only speak for myself personally, it is very, very exciting. And I just feel like I can just have um, make an impact on so many different lives. And I will say I had an inner struggle when I left the classroom to come into the library because I thought, wow, I don't, you know, I won't get to know, you know, 20 some children like I used to, you know, after 180 days. But the fact that I get to see all of them and build relationships with them, and even now being three years in, there are fourth graders that were, you know, mm-hmm. first, second graders. And so now I've that relationship has grown in a very unique and different way than if I would have just had them for 180 days. Well, you mentioned that uh, you've been a teacher for 19 full years. You're in your yeah. 20th year yeah. now. How has the role of the teacher changed in, during that time in your view? Well, the one thing that I've learned in my life, it was told to me years ago, the only constant in life is change. And the, cha- the, the um, job of a teacher has changed over the years. There are a lot of things that are still the same. You're building the relationships. You're wanting children to grow academically and succeed. I think technology has changed, um, has brought a big piece into it. I think, you know, even... 10 years ago, we didn't have the devices. The children didn't have the devices in their hands. So um, now it's just, it's kind of neat to see how it has evolved because the possibilities are there. The possibilities are greater. However, there are challenges with things. There's a lot more things to juggle than um, maybe there was back then. But then who knows? Maybe it's just a different piece. Do you see the changes as positive uh, in the last 19, 20 years? I would say yes, because mm-hmm. I just think, you know, when you um, you can't have the outlook of dwelling on, well, this is what it was, and going back, because you're not going back. You have to <laughs> accept it and move forward because there isn't any going back. You know, I was a public employee for 28 years, and I, I always heard the same thing. The only thing that remains the same is everything subject to change. There you go. At any time. And yes. uh, teaching is no different. You're right. a public servant of right. a different kind. Correct. You did appear before the school board in August, um, and the material that was provided at that time by the, the school corporation's uh, media relations people had a quote from you, and here's the quote. It is not a privilege for the children to come to school it is a privilege for me to teach them and make a difference in their lives. Close the quote there. Why does that phrase have importance to you? 
that's how I set my tone every day when I walk into the building. It's gives it's that's how I can, um, I guess, center myself into my role because as most educators, we all have a life outside of our school and you have lots of things coming out at you. But when I come to come to work each day, I'm here for them. They're not here for me. I'm here for them. And so how as an educator, how as a human being and as an individual and as an adult, how can I support them? How can I provide for them? How can I maybe fill in gaps that maybe they're missing at home or wherever? And just how can I be that support for them? And so I do believe it is a privilege for me to teach them and to make a difference in their lives. This may be a what-if question. I have no idea if this has ever happened. So tell me if it has. Okay. <laughs> but let's say, because yeah, at the elementary level, people aren't, aren't these, these students are not thinking that way. Well, what if one of your elementary students gets into high school and comes back to you, says, you know, Mrs. Cousy, I think I would like to become a teacher. What would you say? I would tell them, yes, do it because it is rewarding. It is hard work. Um, and I have heard other teachers, you know, say, oh, I don't know if I could, you know, would tell, you know, and encourage it. I would say yes, if that's what they want to do, because I don't want to be the person to squash on somebody else's dreams. I wouldn't want someone to tell me, no, don't do that. You can't do that. Um, so if a child or, a, like you said, a former student came back to me and said, as a high schooler, I'm thinking about going into teaching, I would say I would support it, and I would ask them why. I would ask them, you know, mm -hmm. what are you thinking? You know, again, it's about building that relationship and ask them how can I help them fulfill that. Yeah, I, what I'm seeing here, and I remember uh, Mike Beresford, who worked here now as a superintendent in Carmel, I talked to him before he left for mm -hmm. Carmel about this. Um, that there is a teacher shortage. Yes. And it's been fairly recent. I, I wonder about this. I, I wonder if student debt has something to do with it. It's grown so much to get the degree and eventually a master's. It's 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 a big financial mm -hmm. investment to, yep. to to invest in an education for most people. Mm -hmm. There are scholarships and so forth. Most people still have a pretty substantial mm -hmm. investment of some, some kind. But I'm curious, as someone who is on the ground teaching in the media center, as a librarian, why do you think there is a, a teacher shortage at this time? I think it's. Um, <laughs> you you really stumped thought, me on it. So I don't know thought, if I haven't, have. I haven't like pondered it. You yeah. ever really thought about this very much? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you have, I mean, that's I fine. know. No, I mean, I know there is a shortage, and I think it's partly just I wonder because the job has changed as we spoke earlier and it is different and um i think as children are i shouldn't call them children but they are teenagers going into college and seeing there are so many opportunities awaiting them and different even careers that didn't exist five ten years ago and that might be pulling them i i don't know I remember my, one of my daughters, I have twin daughters, they're not 25, but uh, when she was in high school, she wasn't really sure what she wanted mm -hmm. to pursue. So we actually kind of set her up with an, uh, an outside counselor to talk mm -hmm. to her. And I remember the first thing he said, he said, you're, going to, you're about to go to college, it will take you four years. Once you're out of college, 
60% of the jobs that will be available, maybe it was a little less than that, but a high percentage of the jobs that will be available to you don't exist today. Mm -hmm. So you have to remember that. And she she wanted to be working with children, wasn't sure if she was cut out to be a classroom teacher, and she does work with children now uh, in a different way, so she ended up doing that. But uh, I, I think that this whole thing about teachers, I'm, I want to ask you this, do you, and if you haven't thought about it much, that's okay, but there, do you think that the, the way that teachers are evaluated and, and, and the, large, um, the large amount of evaluation, at least based on state rules, mm-hmm. that is going to lean on that, that test score for your, your students, do you think that is I think it definitely could play them? a part into it. Yeah. I think it's also just even the requirements, you know, like what, you know, is expected and trying to juggle all the different pieces. Um, and so, I mean, yes, I think that could play a part into it. I also think back to like when I was a teenager, most people like when they were going to college, you know, a great majority knew what they wanted to go to college for. You know, like, I'm going to go into medicine or I'm going into this. And now as you talk to teenagers, okay, as I engage in conversations with teenagers, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I think there's there's so many possibilities. And again, it goes to the jobs that aren't even created. It's almost like we, I, I almost feel for teenagers because there's so many different possibilities. It's where do you pick and yeah. what do you do? I've looked, I cover the city. And, and what I have found is that when the city looks at economic development, for example, mm-hmm. when I was you know, getting out of education uh, and looking for work, I tried to find a job, and then I would move to where the job is. Mm-hmm. That is not how young people think generally today. They want to find a place where they want to live, which then- is why the city is pouring so much resource into being a place whether you agree with it or not that's the thinking behind it correct and the idea is we want to make sure these people want to come here and then find the job they want and and that has kind of changed how education looks at how to educate these students yes and just even then how the schools are supporting that it's that partnership well, you've talked about your work in your life outside of, of education. You and your husband, Michael, have five boys. Yes. You know, I'm here. I'm, I, I'm, I had two girls, and I got married late in life. We were lucky to have them, so I had a female household. You live in a in a household full of testosterone. So, yes, uh, I do. Is uh, so that you? I, how? What's the age range of your sons? So, um, our sons range from the age of three to seven. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> we adopted uh, all five of our boys. I see. And so that's where, if you're already thinking in your mind, how is that possible? <laughs> that's how it's possible. Um, and so. Uh, we also foster one little boy. And, and I want to ask about that, too, uh, because uh, I, am, I have so much respect for people who are in the foster parent mm-hmm. program. Tell me why you and your husband have decided to be a part of that program and what, the, what you have learned or what that's done for the two of you. Okay, so our journey started when um, we adopted our first son um, through a private agency here in central Indiana. And after that, we decided um, to begin fostering. And we had talked about it before, but we just didn't feel like it was our time to do that. And we, I think as adults, we all feel there's different things in our lives that we're ready for um, or not. And so we began fostering, and it just became a part of our life and became a part of who we are. There is a 
drastic need. Um, we say there's a teacher shortage. There is a parental guardian shor shortage. I just made that up in my mind. A parental guardian shortage in our state, in our country, in, our, in the world. And these are kids that just need a home. And so our journey began, I guess, almost seven years ago. And over the course of seven years, we've fostered 17 children. And um, even after now, we've adopted um, our five boys, the other four out of foster care. We still had, you know, the, the state law said you could foster one more. And so we did. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. And he's already, we figured, you know, he's already at home with our other couple of the other boys, or at that time it was one. What's one more? And I'm telling you, once you have five boys, what's one more? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. Okay. But it's because the kids need, the kid, there, there are kids that just need a home and just need someone to care for them and support them. So I'll let you give a plug here. Somebody wants to put a dent in that guardianship uh, mm -hmm. um, deficit. Uh, who do they? Who does somebody contact to get become a part of that? Well, if you need someone just to chat to, you can just reach out to me, Maria, Maria Cousy, Cousy at uh, <laughs> Brook School Elementary. At Brook School Elementary. Also, just go to your um, the Department of Child Services with Mary. I'm from Marion County or Hamilton County, whichever county you live in, or whatever county you are in within the state of Indiana or outside of the state of Indiana. Um, there are people that will be ready to to um, talk with you and, and get you you know, information. And I will say this, ever, just as with everything in life, there are things that are hard and there are things that are easy. And when you are um, working with the, the foster system and with the children, there are ups and downs. But our ups have definitely weighed out the downs. And um, I don't regret it. So... Well, 30 minutes goes fast. Uh, yes. Anything you would like to add before we uh, wrap this up? Anything um, you want to say? I think my biggest thing about um, the, just this whole experience of being a teacher librarian and now being, you know, the teacher of the year for HSE and being a top 10 finalist for the state of Indiana, it has just provided me with the opportunity just to reflect and to think about how powerful our jobs are as educators and even just as librarians. Um, throughout our state of Indiana, a lot of districts have to pull or cut their, their li librarians, which is unfortunate. And when you look, dig down and you look at the information of where they are with um, funds and, you know, um, it's declining enrollments. I mean, there are some corporations throughout the state of Indiana, their enrollments are declining drastically from year to year. And HSE is the, you know, is the opposite. So we're fortunate in that way. But it is truly a, a powerful partnership. The librarian could be of is a powerful partnership between the classrooms, the students, the teachers, and even all staff members. And so, um, I didn't know how powerful it was until I stepped into this role, and I'm very fortunate to be in this position. Maria Cousy, Teacher of the Year for Brook School Elementary, then for the Hamilton Southeastern School District, Top 10 Finisher for Teacher of the Year for the State of Indiana. Thank you so much for carving out some time for me today. You are most welcome. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. 
My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.